0: Welcome to Between the Headphones, a Georgia sports podcast. I'm John James, sports editor at the Red and Black, and your host for this podcast series. Each week, I'll talk to Red and Black sports reporters to get the pulse of UGA athletics, straight from the source. This week, I'll be joined by Red and Black assistant sports editor Owen Warden and football beat writer Tori Newman. Up first, we'll talk to Tori about Georgia's 37 20 victory over Vanderbilt on Sunday. Welcome back to the show
1: Tori. Thanks for having me again.
0: Absolutely um so first things first the lead story coming out of the Vanderbilt game was Brock Bowers went down with an injury in the second quarter he'll be out for a few weeks in the meantime how did the passing game look in his absence?
1: Honestly very sloppy points are left on the field but there's a mix of both good and bad moments so I'm going to start with the good. The good was Dominic Lovett because he became Beck's Beck's next best target, showing signs of how he's continued to flourish in Mike Bobo's system as a transfer. We saw it right after Brock had to be helped off the field. Beck immediately found Dominic for seven yards. And then with 12 seconds left in the first half, Beck found him for a touchdown, the first of Lovett's career as a Bulldog. And then going into the bad, errors. Carson Beck did not look too great Saturday. Outside of two turnovers, the first fumble of his career— Plus, Cedric Van Praan's fumble in action as a running back. Beck threw for 261 yards, his lowest since UT Martin. Before that, he had a streak of three games with over 300 passing yards. But with that said, he went 29 for 39, which is standard for him, but I think one of the issues Saturday was in his decision-making, kind of like what Coach Smart said postgame. Smart said he was frustrated with some decisions, and he focused on Beck's fumble, saying that he should have been smarter to trust the defense in that situation and throw the ball away. Kind of going off that, incomplete passes were also an issue. Like I said, points were left on the board. Using the first incomplete pass of the game, Beck overthrew Marcus Rosemary jack Saint, who was wide open in the end zone on second and three. In the third quarter, Georgia's first drive saw four incomplete passes, all the different receivers. That continued to the fourth quarter where Georgia had two incomplete passes and then decided to run the ball to milk the clock in their final two drives of the game. Beck did not throw the ball for the last six minutes of play. Without Bowers, the passing game caved in on itself, having very few positive, positives outside of Lovett's success.
0: Yeah, and I think you saw a little bit about, of that passing game kind of weaning off in the later stages. Just in, based on how much they relied on the running game, uh, George put up a season-high 281 yards on the ground against Vandy. It was really the dejan Edwards show in the second half, though Kendall Milton did look pretty good before re-injuring his ACL in the, in the second quarter. Um, how much does having a good running game open up the offense for Georgia?
1: Well, first, it definitely helped to bail out a struggling passing game. But now we've seen how the run game looks at its best and worst, thanks to injuries. Against UT Martin and Ball State, we saw what the backfield looked like without Dejon Edwards. Against UT Martin and Ball State, Georgia only rushed for 159 yards and 99 yards, respectively. The run game was there, but it wasn't a highlight or strength. The depth chart wasn't filled and Dylan Bell and C.J. Smith had to take snaps as running backs instead of receivers. Ever since Dejon Edwards returned in Week 3, we've seen that run game become a reliable strength in Georgia's offense. There are flashes of that against UAB and Kentucky, of what Georgia's offense looks like when both the passing and run games are on the same page at their best, but for now, the reliability of Dejon Edwards has been vital. With a continually successful run game, pressure has been able... To kind of get off the passing game and let them do as they please, Carson Beck has slowly worked up taking more shots downfield and working in more targets like Lovett. But against Vanderbilt, the backfield was the majority of the offense, and also kind of insurance. Like I mentioned earlier, that Georgia chose to run the ball for almost the last third of the fourth quarter.
0: Yeah, um, I'm agreed with all points. Uh, looking at the other side of the ball, though, Vanderbilt put up 20. That's more than they scored in the four the previous four matchups combined against Georgia. How were they scoring those
1: points? I think it was two things. Two things, miscommunications and offensive errors that kind of determined that. First, miscommunication in the secondary definitely got the Bulldogs punched in the mouth early. Vanderbilt receiver London Humphreys was really only, only able to score that first touchdown because miscommunication in coverage between Kamari Lasser and Tyke Smith left him wide open at 35. Vanderbilt scored to open the fourth quarter, and it looked like miscommunication again. Techie Smith got caught after Richie Hoskins, the Vanderbilt receiver, ran under the tight end and and rubbed off his coverage to get wide open in the end zone. And then offensive errors. After that touchdown, Carson Beck threw an interception to C.J. Taylor, who returned the ball all the way to the one-yard line before Beck nearly laid him out. The offensive error put the defense at a really tough spot and allowed Vanderbilt's Cedric Alexander to rush up the middle and score.
0: Yeah, so I my biggest thing from that coming out of that game was that Georgia was just, like, so bad on offense that it put their defense in really tough situations at times, uh, mostly through that interception, that fumble. Do you think turnover issues are going to continue being a problem for this team?
1: No, I don't think—they haven't been an issue this season till now, really. This was a weird game. It was full of construction, heavy heavy wind, injuries— While playing conditions aren't fully responsible for what happens on the field, as an athlete I think it would be hard to be at your best when your locker room is a makeshift tent. Or perhaps it could all be the Drake curse, which is entirely a real thing. Correlation does not equal causation, except in the case of Aubrey Graham. But in all seriousness, I fully expect Coach Mart to handle the issue of turnovers and we shouldn't see much of it going forward. He's very adamant post-game that small errors and bad decisions made the game what it was and that team played fine outside those moments. So I think that day as a whole was just very weird outside of unseen errors to this point and then also kind of the field conditions as a whole.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think George's as a team has been very clean this season. Uh, Car- the reason Carson Beck earned the starting job is because of that de- decision-making he, he's displayed. And against Vanderbilt, he made a couple of terrible decisions, and it showed because Vanderbilt scored 20 points. But I think he's going to get back to normal as the season goes along. It was just any given Saturday, Georgia had a bad day. They still managed to pull it out against Vanderbilt. But on that topic, final question for you, Tori. What was your biggest takeaway from Georgia's 37-20 victory over Vanderbilt?
1: I'd have to say Dejon Edwards is that guy. Post-game, Coach Smart said, where would we be without Dejon Edwards? And I think that's very true. Since he debuted against South Carolina, he'd been arguably the most consistent person in Georgia's offense. In his season debut, he had a career day, but against Vandy, he surpassed it again with a high of 146 yards and a touchdown. Nationally, Georgia has the highest-ranked run defenses out of teams in the SEC. Next up is Kentucky and then Tennessee. With how he's been doing, he's on track to finish out with the best season of his career. And he's overcome injury a lot in his career, and he's had quite the journey to the top of Georgia's run game. So I think going up against Tennessee, Ole Miss, Missouri, I'd really like to see how he does against stronger teams in the SEC opposed to Vanderbilt.
0: Yeah I, I agree that Dejon Edwards has been really good this season but in the absence of Brock Bowers I think it's going to be really interesting to see how he performs because Brock and Dejon are the two people on this thing on this team that I think anytime the ball is in their hands they have a chance to score on the play and without Brock Dejon is the biggest threat on this team just because he is so explosive he can make so many people miss so it'll be interesting to see exactly how much teams try to key in on the running game and force Carson Beck to beat them with receivers who he hasn't really shown that shown quite as much connection with as he has with Bowers. But until until the Georgia shows that, thank you very much for coming on the show, Tori. Thank you. joined by Assistant Sports Editor Owen Borden as we look back at the first half of Georgia's season so far. Welcome to the show, Owen. Great to finally be back, John. Let's lead with the big thing. Carson Beck was the topic of everybody's conversation for the first few weeks of the season. What grade
2: would you give him for the first half of his his season so far? You know, I feel like this is a bit of a tougher one because, you know, it feels like we've been kind of toying between just B for back, and I think that's probably where I would place him, B, maybe B+, plus, just because, you know, just like a B, he hasn't done anything bad, I don't think. A couple turnovers, you know, last week wasn't great, and that certainly earned him a reasonable C-plus um, performance, but he also had a performance against Kentucky where you would argue it was an A, A-plus right? So he's had some great moments, right? But he's had a lot of just B moments, a lot of moments where he plays well, he gets the job done, but he's not necessarily wowing you. Like a guy like Michael Penix Jr. or Kayla Williams or Bo Nix or Drake Mayer, you know? And I think that's okay. I think that can be winning football, but I wouldn't give him any higher than B plus range. Maybe you could talk me into an A minus, but really it's around there. It's around the B plus B A minus range where I think it's the most fitting for him.
0: Yeah, I think the ceiling, the highs of Carson Beck have been really high, Mm -hmm. and the lows have just been a little below average. Like, when he's at his best, he is way better than Carson Beck is bad at his worst. I agree. But generally, I think it's been more in the middle, and with Brock Bowers out for the foreseeable future, maybe until the postseason, I think it's going to continue to stay in the middle. And the question for next week is: Will that be better? Will that be able to beat some of the team, the remaining teams in the SEC?
2: Yeah, I'm curious in what Lad is going to be for this team, because it feels like, feels like especially in that Vandy game, especially early, it was like, oh, okay, they're getting Lad really into this involved in this game plan, and it makes you think like another week of just probably no practice for Lad and just let him relax and and recover, and then he's back against Florida. I feel like that could be the week that Lad really starts doing what Lad has been doing for the past few years, but yeah, I mean, I think it's absolutely relying on Beck and his ability to get Ladd involved, on getting Marcus rosemary jackson involved, and getting the transfer wide receivers involved, and getting backup tight end Delp, and even the freshmen like Lucky and Pierce Berlin involved. It's going to be a lot more on his plate of what he can do as a quarterback without that great talent, and I think, if anything, we'll find out a little bit more about Beck now that his top receiver is down. Kind of like how we found a lot about Stetson Bennett when A.D. Mitchell was down, when George Pickens was down. We had to learn what these quarterbacks were, and they showed us. So Beck now gets that opportunity. And, you know, John, everyone's been saying, what's what's a Georgia National Championship type run without their best receiver being hurt until postseason play? I mean...
0: <laughs> okay, Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> we don't want to belabor the point here. Uh, looking at the other side of the ball, though, Georgia's defense has been... Far and away, the best unit in the nation for the past two seasons. How would you rate their performance through that first through that same frame, seven games into the season?
2: Yeah, I'd probably give them an a minus a couple dominant performances, especially against Kentucky, but a couple performances where they're just kind of looking sloppy. You know, coverages aren't playing the way they were, even against Kentucky. I think there were times where guys were just wide open and nobody was there to really lock it down. You know, there's there's times where, there's certain things that just don't go right, right? The the defensive line maybe doesn't get a, an extreme amount of pressure right away, and it takes a little bit for them to go through the game until they start generating pressure. The linebackers were disappointing for the first four to five weeks of the season, so there was a lot of disappointment. But at the same time, it's still a Georgia defense, still looks great, still has a ton of talent. So I can't give it any less than an A minus, really. You can convince me of an A, you can convince me of a B plus. But I think A-minus is kind of where they sit, simply for the fact that they're still a Georgia defense, but it has not been anywhere near flawless.
0: Yeah, I I agree that it hasn't been flawless, but it's been really, really good. And I think my general view on this defense's performance so far is that they've played so good for 90% of their matchups. Mm-hmm. But there are spurts in every game where their coverage is off, there is a miscommunication, a quarterback gets gets out of the pocket and he scrambles for a 30-yard game. And I just I wonder how long you can continue at that rate, how much of a spurt you can allow to a, to a Missouri, to a Tennessee, to an Ole Miss, or if that brief window of time is going to be enough for an SEC team to overtake you. But that's a question for going forward in the season.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. And we've seen this defense lock up like Georgia defense has had in the past. Look at that South Carolina game. Second half, that defense locked up and kept South Carolina off the board. You know, we know what this team is capable of. We've seen it several times this year. It just hasn't been at the same consistency that it has been at other years that make you feel so much more confident about this team going forward.
0: Yeah, so so far we've talked very specifically about a player. We've talked broadly about a unit as a whole. I want to get into some position groups now, Owen. Who is a position group that you think has outperformed expectations so far in the year?
2: I think it's tough because... Expectations are always weird, right? No one kind of fully knows what's going to be going on. But I feel like Georgia's units have kind of all fit the expectations had for them. You know, unless unless you were really low on Carson back or even really high on Carson back then maybe your expectations were over-underwhelmed right if you thought that this defensive line was going to find its next Jalen Carter right away then i think everybody told you would tell you that you were a little bit ridiculous and because of that they haven't you know guys have been close michael williams has has flashed and, and marvin jones at times has looked really interesting as a player Chas Chambliss has had a couple good games here and there but overall it was a little bit foolish to think that any team was go- that any unit was going to overachieve or underachieve or anything like that so a lot of these units have kind of fit exactly where you think they would but I think the one unit that is really overachieved especially right before the season when Branson went down when Kendall was was dealing with injury when Dejon was dealing with injury when it was really Roderick Robinson and Cash Jones and Savon Clark and it was those guys and all those guys only at that point everyone had such low expectations that I don't think anyone would have expected someone like Dejon to go and run for 140 yards against Vanderbilt, to have a 130-yard performance against South Carolina, right? Like, this running back room is impressive. It's a talented group, and Dejon has looked like the number one option on a college football team, and he's been filling that role well. So I think it's tough to say who has really overperformed because, you know, it feels like everyone's kind of been at the point where they should be, but a lot of people were really low on the running back room itself, and it's been pretty good, not consistently, but it's had these big-time moments that I don't think people were expecting coming into this year.
0: Yeah, the running backs are also going to be my biggest overachiever so far just because of how down we were on that unit entering the season. It was kind of a not a "woe is me situation, but we were – we were all thinking, well, this is this is not the ideal situation for Georgia entering the year just because it puts a lot of pressure on Carson Beck. And Beck kind of responded. But more importantly, I think the running game didn't, like, miss a beat much. It was clear that it was way better when Dejon Edwards returned. It was very clearly an SEC unit that was able to carry its weight in the offense. And it didn't make Carson have to make any adjustments or compromise his process any because of a lackluster running game
2: yeah and I know a lot of people had an idea that maybe Branson Robinson you know could take that that sophomore step up and could maybe bring Georgia back to the the days of those elite running games and stuff like that and maybe Branson could be what brings them there but that's not the expectations before the season ultimately that was the expectation maybe in the off season, but not before the season but and once everybody got, went down with injuries. The expectation changed, and I think Georgia has subverted those simply by the fact that Dejon is still really good. Kendall, when he can stay on the field, flashes a little things here and there. You know, Roderick, through the first couple weeks when he was healthy, was solid as a freshman, found the end zone a couple times. So, you know, I think it's been a solid group, all things considering.
0: So I know, I know you said that you didn't have really any expectations or, or none of the Georgia position groups have defied your expectations so far. But I do want to look at the other side of that spectrum. Do you think there are any position groups that have underperformed
2: so far in the year? I think there's one, and it's a little harder because they've played pretty well the past couple weeks. But I can't help but say the linebackers, considering it was mostly all-returnee starters, just didn't pop. They didn't flash the way you thought they could. I came into this year thinking that if any linebackers were really going to make first-round buzz, Smile Munden could be one of those guys. Jamon Dumas-Johnson could maybe make a push for... An early second round, maybe a, maybe a a sneak in, something like that for the first. But those guys haven't done that this year. It hasn't been that type of performance for them. And the past couple weeks, they've been good, right? The past couple of weeks, they've, they've shown up and they've started playing well. And I, I think I'd have to assume that progression is going to continue on for the Bulldogs, especially for that linebacking group, especially because Xavier Sori continues to get reps. Jalen Walker is now getting reps. CJ Allen, the freshman, continues to look good. So, It's not that I would say they were bad, necessarily, but coming into this year, you know, you kind of expected the linebackers to be one of the better units in this group, and they just didn't, really.
0: Yeah, there's a little bit of a discrepancy between the way they're talked about and the way they play on the field, because everyone talks about the linebackers like they're kind of leaders on this team. And entering the year, like last season, Smile Munden and Jamon Dumas-Johnson flew off the field at times. They were popping off the screen. And this year, they're just it just hasn't been that same level of performance. And for Smile, it might be a little bit of just he's coming back from injury. He might still be a little banged up or he's trying to adjust uh, to that actual play. But I just, I think it has to get better because, I mean, it's not like it has to get better. But it, it, I would expect it to get better just because we know the talent level of these, these linebackers because they showed it year in, year out, and it just hasn't messed up so far in this
2: season. Yeah, and, and Jamon's been brutal in coverage. It's been rough to see him out there just missing assignments and stuff like that, and you just can't do that, especially if you're kind of the guy in the linebacker room. But ultimately, I think it'll be okay, mostly because, again, they had a really good game against Kentucky, and I thought they played pretty well against Vanderbilt, honestly, and I, I had them as an honorable mention simply for the fact that the secondary, which has been pretty great all year and been making plays, had a down game against Vanderbilt, and... You know, and they had some blown coverages against Kentucky, kind of like what we talked about in that defensive segment. But, you know, I think the linebackers are on the upward trajectory. But I can't help but say that they were on the downward trajectory for most of the season up to this point.
0: But on the topic of underperforming groups, this is going to be a little bit of a hot take. And I'm not saying they've they've been mostly, for the most part, they've been very good this season. But when Georgia has gotten down at points this year against Auburn, Against In that matchup against South Carolina, I think the offensive line has been a little bit lackluster. They've gotten beat at the point of attack, and that's forced the offense to go three and out sometimes. It's forced the offense to put up three points in the first half. And against Kentucky, offensive line was wonderful. Vanderbilt, wonderful. But when Georgia has failed to put up a performance that we expect of them, the offensive line has been one of the primary culprits.
2: Yeah, that's another group that, has, that really started slow. And it's a group they didn't really expect to because the interior was all back and Amarius Mims was back. And Amarius Mims looked great, you know. He's, he was looking really good until his injury. But I think we're kind of facing a reality that maybe we were a little too high on Tate Ratledge because he has had some struggles this year. And Xavier Truss just not playing the best football. Now, Cedric Van Pran is still great. I don't think there's any debate about his abilities as a center considering he's won uh, uh, an SEC honors for it. But the guards just didn't play the way I thought they would. And Ernest Green wasn't a baller right away, you know. He wasn't a a lockdown left tackle like some thought maybe he could enter the season as. So it's tough. But I think I do, and the only reason I I went with the linebackers of the offensive line, because I do agree with you, they did definitely have disappointed. But you look at it and you see guys like, you know, Monroe Freeling coming in at right tackle and not getting beat and succeeding at right tackle, maybe even at a better rate than Xavier Truss was. You see guys like Dylan Fairchild come in and not skip a beat at left guard and and keep things moving and, you know, play well next to Van Praan. So, you know, ultimately, I can't fault the offensive line too much for what they've gone through, but then also how they've bounced back, especially these past two weeks. Fairchild is in his element now. He's comfortable Monroe Freeland came in as a true freshman and played well. I think that it's going to be interesting when guys like Xavier Truss come back and when guys like uh, Amarius Mims come back, because I'm not sure what the shakeout's going to be, what we're going to look at lineup-wise, but talented players. And I think the line has really started to come together and has had its moments rather than the linebackers that were just kind of constantly disappointing through most of the season.
0: Yeah, I agree on pretty much all fronts. But we've name-dropped a bunch of matchups. We talked about South Carolina, we talked about Auburn, we talked about UT Martin, we talked about Vanderbilt. But for you, Owen, what
2: do you think was Georgia's most important game over its first seven? It's a little tough because I don't know if I could pick just one game, so instead I'm going to pick two, and it's just a small stretch. That Auburn leading into that Kentucky game was the most important stretch for Georgia's season, to have to go on the road, to have to face a tough opponent, a tough just road element in Auburn, and to face an element of a team that they clearly just weren't set up to do well against, and that's the QB run, and then to face that adversity, come back in a second half comeback, and on the road, which is just not easy necessarily. It's tough to do that when the crowd already has all the momentum in the world to get loud, but then to come back off that week and head into Kentucky and have a great game just a dominant performance against the 20th best team in the country at the time, that stretch was so important for this team because it demonstrated what they can do if things go wrong, but it also demonstrated what they can do when things are going right. And Vanderbilt was rough. Vanderbilt was not the performance you wanted to see after a dominant performance against Kentucky. I think we both know that. But... It's what showed everybody in the country, and it's what I think even showed this team itself. and and maybe you could ask Kirby about that. he would know much better than me, obviously. But I think that's what showed this team that they can win in any scenario, whether it's the tough comebacks against a team on the road or it's a dominant performance at home with the fans behind you. I think that's what they, especially against a good team. I think that's what they needed, and I think that's what if this Georgia team does, go all the way to national championship, despite the injuries, despite the difficulties, if they do go all the way and they do make something successful, that little game stretch, I think, is what we're going to point to and say, yes, that was important for this team. Without that, they would not have gone as far as they did.
0: Yeah, I I had the exact same games as you, actually. I think the Auburn game was a little bit more important to me just because they're on the road, hostile territory, Carson Beck's first road start, Auburn punches them in the mouth right out of the gate. And Georgia answers, but then Auburn responds. And what do you do when the team that you're facing keeps answering to, like, Georgia tried to make a push, and Auburn kept pushing pushing the lead a little bit further and a little bit further. And entering the fourth quarter, Carson Beck, on the road, has to come back. That is a comeback victory for Carson Beck, and it was just, like, him proving that he can do that. And that was really important to me. And just the Kentucky game, to me, is really rem- reminiscent of the Oregon game last season. There's a lot of hype going in the game. Can Georgia do it? Is this their big test? And they just pass all all of the tests with flying colors. And they prove, yeah, we can still be those guys when we need to. And they really answered any questions I have, except for the fact that they followed it up with a venerable performance. And so it's clear that they have some work to do, but at their peak, they are the best team in the country.
2: I completely agree. I think everything you said there was on point. And it's interesting because I was talking to an Alabama fan, uh, a friend of mine who who's an Alabama fan. And, you know, obviously he, he's he been doing what everybody's been kind of doing and, and is pointing towards the, the comparisons between the two. But he's also just been saying that, like, you know, and maybe it's the sad Alabama fan in him that's not used to not winning everything by 40 points. But he was like, we're close in games, but it doesn't feel like, but it still feels like we're trying our best to win. Meanwhile, Georgia almost feels like they're sleepwalking, and you can kind of see that a little bit. I remember watching that first Vanderbilt drive and I'm like, are they just going 50%? Cuz it it's what the film looked like to me. And maybe that's just me, but everybody was moving slow. And and he was like it's the same thing they did last year, and he's kind of right. They kind of did a similar thing where when they're playing at Kent State, when they're playing at Samford, kind of sleptwalk through it a little bit. You know, they didn't give it their all like they would for other games and you know we've kind of seen a similar thing so far this year especially because Kentucky popped up it's a game they took seriously clearly and they won it in a dominant fashion so what is Florida going to be they're just outside the top 25 what is Missouri going to look like they're pretty firmly entrenched in that top 25 barring anything happening Tennessee that's going to be an interesting game it's on the road can they pull something off there you know Ole Miss again that's another that's possibly a top 10 team by the time they face each other. What is going to be the situation? What's going to be the scenario? What is everything going to look like at those moments? That I think is going to be important. And that maybe takes over as the most important game for Georgia of this season is if they can continue to do that. But either way, I think the slate of Auburn into Kentucky is the most important. And I'm glad we're both in agreement on that. Yeah. So we agreed on the most important game this season.
0: But I, I want to see if we agree on the most important players for Georgia this season. So, Owen, give me your offensive MVP so far.
2: Okay. I, I hate to say it, but I feel like Brock Bowers is cheating a little bit, right? Because, of course, he's been the offensive MVP. So let's not talk about him. Let's, let's you know, let's not talk about the, the injured like that. Let's not rub that in because it's not very fun. So I'm going to go with the two, I think, runner-ups in my mind. Because, again, Brock is the easy one. I think Dejon Edwards and Marcus Jack Jackson have both been incredible players. Rosemi Jackson had a had a had a down game last week. Dejon had a had a downer game against Kentucky and stuff like that. And you know, they're not constantly on like Brock was, but man, those guys are putting up numbers and they're putting up performances and you can't help but say that without those two guys, this offense isn't humming as well as they have in certain games. So yeah, I'm absolutely giving credit to uh Dejan, as we've talked about a lot so far already but then also Marcus Rosemi Jackson. he was a highly regarded recruit coming in suffered a brutal injury his freshman year felt like the past two years have been him getting over it and it feels like he's finally back and really playing at a high level after people had kind of written him off so really happy to see Rosamie Jackson really kind of overachieving those expectations
0: yeah, I I also went away from Rock Bowers. I didn't want to take the easy answer, and I did go with Dejon Edwards as well. Just because when he's put up his best performances, it's been in those games where it felt like Georgia needed a push. South Carolina is his first career uh, career I he put up this year. It was a game Georgia entered with an eleven point deficit at halftime, and it, it, he he was the fuel. For that offense when they really needed a push. And then against Vanderbilt, it also felt like they were sleeping a little, sleep, sleepwalking a little bit. Brock Barris goes down injured in the second quarter. Who are you, Whose number are you going to call? It's DeJon Edwards, and he delivers. Yeah,
2: number 30. Get that guy up there because he's been playing really well. And you have to give him credit for that because he's been a really talented player. And who you who else are you going to give a offensive MVP player uh, award to than the guy that's actually waiting you football games? you know Marcus rosemey Jackson I think has done that at and in spurts and stuff like that to put Georgia in winning potential especially from the wide receiver spot but Dejon Edwards must be real is the reason Georgia won that South Carolina game and it's the reason they won that Vanderbilt game he did a lot and he played really well and I think you would be foolish if you didn't look at Dejon as one of at least an MVP candidate at least an offensive MVP candidate for this Georgia Bulldogs team
0: you mentioned that word offensive And now we're not going to talk about offensive MVPs at all because we're going to the other side of the ball and we're talking defensive MVPs. Who you got?
2: Again, I'm kind of between two, but I think I think I'm going to go with Malachi Starks. Tyke Smith's the easy answer. He's leading the teams in picks and he's been kind of the leader in highlight plays. But if we're talking about who's been the most important player for this team, who's iced games, who's been the most consistently just solid, you know, that like even if a player catches a ball, who's right there still giving good coverage? Malachi Starks. There hasn't been that level of pass rusher that's easy to point to like Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis, Trayvon Walker. There isn't that level of defensive player to point to and be like they're impacting the game the most. But Malachi Starks is doing what just a lot of some of the best safeties in the NFL do is they'll make plays when they need to make plays like having an interception to ice a game, but they're also just playing great football. And you can't help but credit that, even if he's not fully filling up the stat sheet, even though he sometimes does fill up the stat sheet, he's a really good player, and I think he deserves his flowers for what he's been able to do, whether in or out of the limelight.
0: Yeah, I also went in the secondary for my pick. I agree that Malachi is fantastic. He is a top three safety in college football but I picked a guy who also, who had a lot of questions around him entering the year just because he was he was succeeding one of the most... Keeley Ringo made the most important play in Georgia football history, and Kamari Lasseter stepped into that Keeley Ringo role, and honestly, I think he's been fantastic at it. He's emerged as one of the best cornerbacks in the nation, and I think he's kind of like there were a couple times last season where Barry and Brown would have a 145 yard game Do- Dominic Lovett would go for 84 yards against Georgia we haven't seen that this year because Kamari, Kamari Lasseter is taking that number one receiver and he is locking them down and he's done that consistently and I think he's just he's been really really good this year
2: yeah and honestly the reason that Tyke didn't even make my MVP list was the fact that that miscommunication of them with Vanderbilt that was on Taiki based on just Kirby's reaction and stuff like that but I couldn't agree more with you, other than the fact that I do have Malachi a little bit higher, but I think he fits in that same thing. I think Kamari fits in that same role of constantly being there. You know, even if a catch is made, Kamari's right there. You know, he's you're not getting too far away from him. If something broke down, it's not Kamari Lasseter's fault. He's there. He's making tackles. He's making hits. He's being physical. He's using his athleticism to his advantage. And for a guy that, truthfully, I was down on last year, a guy that I thought Didn't play very well, made a lot of mistakes, had a lot of opportunities that he was just wasting for that team, and just didn't look like a very starting caliber corner just yet. Turned it around this year, and has been absolutely a number one, to the point that I think he's got first-round capabilities as long as he continues this play up, stays healthy, and has a nice combine performance. He's a really talented player.
0: Yeah, full disclosure, I owe an apology to Kamari Lasseter, because entering the season, it was all talk about who was going to take the other cornerback spot opposite Kamari Lassiter. I thought both might have been up for grabs, and it is clear that Kamari has his spot on lock.
2: Yeah, I mean, you—you you, some people thought that Kamari was going to take that jump. You look at some like of those early season polls, and you see Kamari making first-round buzz, and I remember both of us talking about that really it was kind of that Georgia bias. The fact of, like, oh, he's a Georgia corner, and he's probably going to be— a first-round level player. No, he's playing into that. He's actually at that level, and neither of us really thought that he was that kind of player, so he himself has absolutely overachieved our expectations, even if that other corner spot has kind of met it. So, shout-out to Kamari. Shout-out to Malachi. It's really helped kind of put one of the better groups for this team together alongside the high-flying, playmaking, Tykey Smith. It's a good group. It is a good group, but... Wrapping up a little bit, Owen, we've talked about a lot
0: today. We've gotten quarterbacks, we've gotten defense, we've gotten offensive line, we've gotten linebackers. Looking at the team as a whole, what is your biggest takeaway from the first seven games of Georgia's 2023 college football season?
2: I feel like I've been saying it for every single podcast I'm on, and that's every single takeaway I have, but it is just the season takeaway so far. This team isn't flawless, but it's still uber talented. There's talent all over the field. We've seen them play at their highest level several times this year. The key for this team, clearly, is can they all play at their highest level at the same time multiple times throughout this year? They all have A-plus ability. We know that. They all all had five- and four-star grades coming out of high school. They're athletic enough to do that, and we respect this Georgia coaching staff enough that we know they can get it out of them. They did it for the past two years. Can they do it multiple times against multiple great opponents? Georgia's schedule was kind of looked down upon a little bit in the the beginning of the year. They're actually going to be facing some tough opponents, kind of like what they faced in Kentucky, at least on paper, you know. Tennessee is still going to be a tough opponent. Ole Miss, again, might be top 10. Missouri, a lot better than what people thought they could be. So can Georgia do it multiple times? Can Georgia make it to that SEC championship so they could get a Brock Bowers back and they could make a run for a third time? We'll see. But they're capable. Will they? I don't know. But they're capable.
0: Yeah. uh, To me, it has always felt like Georgia's ceiling is best team in the country but they just keep scratching the surfaces and I just want to know when they're when they're going to break through. It felt like that breakthrough was going, coming against Kentucky and then they fell back into their sleepwalking ways. I just need to see it consistently from them before I can really say, yeah, this team is a national champion undoubtedly.
2: Yeah. There's no confidence behind it really. There's a lot of things that make you skeptical of what this team can fully achieve, but there's been moments that you're like, oh, they have championship potential, but I'm not going to say that they're my national champion yet. They're nowhere near that. And it's going to take some pretty great performances against some pretty good teams to make either one of us convinced of that.
0: They've got some pretty good teams left on their schedule, though. But before we can get to those games, we have to sign off. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Owen.
2: John, you know it's always a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to Between the Headphones. I'm John James. You can find more episodes wherever you get your podcasts and at redandblack.com. For even more Georgia sports coverage, visit redandblack.com slash sports. We'll tee it up between the headphones again next week.